E-commerce isn't just an aspect of growing a successful wine business, it is crucial. And that's why I strongly recommend working with Offset Partners. As a proudly independent e-commerce technology and brand design company based in wine country, Offset understands the operational nuances and the customer service imperatives that distinguish a great online buying experience from a mediocre one. And that's why leading and legendary brands like Saxum, Arnott Roberts, and Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant choose Offset's proprietary commerce technology platform to power their DTC sales. If you're an allocated winery or a high-touch merchant that values an elegant, effective commerce solution for both you, your customers, and your team, reach out to the smart team at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com, to craft a better direct-to-consumer experience. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. In the 1880s, if you were looking for great Nebbiolo, you'd be looking to northern Piedmonte, in particular to the regions of Geme, Gattinara, Lasona, and Bramatera. If you lived in Milan in the 19th century, you'd want to be serving these wines with dinner. In the mid-1800s, Piedmonte wines were popular in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, but in the 1840s, the tariffs on their export to Austrian-controlled lands doubled which cut off Piedmonte from its export market. This was the first of many tribulations for the North Piedmonte wine market. But after World War II, other businesses, like the textile industry, sprung back to life, but not the vineyards. Most of the vineyards have since been reclaimed by forest. Why was the wine industry the last to start its comeback? In post-war days, a quick profit likely meant a sustainable business because many businesses were starting from scratch without the momentum of capital that sustains long-term industries. But as most people who listen to this podcast know, a new winery or vineyard takes many years of effort before the first vintage can be released to market. And in particular, the long-lived wines of Lasona, and especially Bramatera, would need even longer to be enjoyed and thus praised by consumers. So someone looking to start up a business after World War II would likely look for something that could return their investment in a year or less. Also, if you think of the psychology of business, imagine if you were such a person in such a time with just enough money left to start up a business after World War I. Your grandparents may still talk about the good old days before World War I. Your parents in particular recall the horrors of World War I, and your mom may even be a widow. Many of your friends have died in the World War II battles, and you've likely watched them in your own fight. You've probably been in a few hand-to-hand -hand mortal combats yourself. You're very aware of the greater world, of other countries, and of how you fit into the greater scheme of things. But by now, you and your countrymen are weary of fighting, and you feel like cogs in some sort of giant political game. You're sick of fighting, and you're ready to rebuild. Your hometown's population was decimated, and though your family likely had some kind of wealth before the war, now there's really just enough for you to get back on your feet. The prospect of a global business market is a tenuous one, and peace must seem elusive in the long run. 
investors are not jumping at the idea of going into business in your market. Why invest in a long-term business when your lifetime was plagued by multiple wars? It seems, if you have money to invest after World War I, that it would do best in any business but the wine business, where the return can sometimes be decades away. Increasing your possibilities of bankruptcy in the meantime. You only get one shot at this. The production of items with a quick turnaround, textiles for instance, make much more sense in an unstable economy. Looms, textiles, and dyes, these are also things that can be moved if the fighting starts up again. Vines, not so much. This mentality and the loss of so much life, and with it, knowledge of vineyards and vines, made this once thriving area a ghost land of wine. Taking a walk through a forest could easily be a stroll through what was once a great vineyard of the area. Today, so many of them are just gone without a trace. Take, for instance, these statistics. Before World War II, Lasona once claimed over 300 hectares of vines, and today it has less than 20. Before World War II, some estimate that Brahmatera's vineyards counted more than 2,000 hectares, but in 2014, there were only 30 hectares. Combined, the regions of Lasona and Brahmatera have about 2% of the vineyards they once had. 2%. These wines need time to age. One wine writer says, It should be considered a sin to open a bottle of Brahmatera before 10 years old. And if you are lucky enough to find an old bottle of Brahmatera before its DOC making in 1979, you'll see the bottles labeled simply as Spana, the North Piedmontese nickname for Nebbiolo. Today, there's some renewed investment in the area and energy being put into these once popular areas of the northern Piedmonte. Just how fast can these mountains be replanted? One of the first things I learned doing harvest in California is where to buy wine. And that is Bottle Barn. Classic wines, natural wines, cult wines, up-and-coming producers, excellent vintages, hard-to-source bottles, and daily drinkers. Bottle Barn has them all, and Bottle Barn has them all for great prices. Honestly, I, I really don't know how they do it. I've seen pricing from Bottle Barn for some fancy wines that is several hundred dollars less than I would have expected. And I've also seen wines for under 30 bucks that I would have expected to have been significantly more than that. Plus, when I get my wine, it's in perfect condition. That's why I do what all the best winemakers in California do. I shop at Bottle Barn. Try for yourself. Use the promo code VINO15 for 15% off your first order at BottleBarn.com. That's vino one for 15% off your first order at BottleBarn.com. Christiana Gorella of Columbera and Gorella in the Alto Piemonte, as well as consulting work for a number of other wineries in that region. Hello, sir. How are you? Very fine. Thank you. You got started in winemaking in the Alto Piemonte at a fairly young age. Yeah, I started in 2002. And uh, at that time, I was uh, 18 years old and was my first vintage. I started before as a wine passionate, obviously. So you were drinking wine from a pretty young age? 
Yeah, when I was uh, 13, I started drinking wine, tasting wines, visiting wineries, and then uh, I want to start making wine. It was very easy, natural, was natural path. Was your family uh, had a history of winemaking? No. My mother was a municipality secretary and my father a gymnastic teacher. So I was not uh, strictly connected to wine winemaking. And anyway, Northern Piedmont in that period was not an important wine growing region. So it was quite strange of the beginning. But uh, Because I think now, at least in the United States market, we talk a lot about the Alto Piemonte. Yeah. But maybe you saw that change where it was maybe less fashionable and now it started to gain some momentum in the last couple of years? I think um was very different. Just a few years ago, just 15 years ago, 16 years ago was completely different because uh, Northern Piedmont was only sleeping. Few producers were left. And so only in the, in the last 10 years, uh, 15 years, there is uh, this kind of new renaissance of Northern Piedmont with new investments, new producers, uh, a lot of all the restored vineyard. And so this is the most important thing about Northern Piedmont, I, I think, today. That must have been pretty exciting to be a young guy and seeing an area that's going through a renaissance. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy about that. I'm very also proud because it's, uh, it's my territory anyway. And um, I like the place uh, where I am. But uh, the beginning was strange because... Uh, we were uh, just the northern Piedmont, the other Piedmont, not the Piedmont of Nebbiolo, not the Piedmont known by uh, Barbaresco producer and the Lange and obviously the top names of, uh, of Italian winemaking. Uh, so it was different because for a while, for some years, everybody was uh, looking northern Piedmont as only a secondary wine areas. And I think now it's uh, completely different. What sort of set the stage for a difference? One uh, for sure was uh, Paolo De Marchi investments in Northern Piedmont as uh, Proprietas Perino, who was able to bring some other people uh, investing in Northern Piedmont, uh, as are Christoph Künzli of Le Piane, Dieter Reuschel of Le Pianelle, where, where I work. And so I think this was one of the important, most important points. Then the other side was some very old uh, estate, but very interesting estate, as are Antoniolo, Sella, Travaglini, and Samavas, Cantalupo, uh, at that period were changing a little bit, changing on, not the winemaking, but only their, their mind. They were more open than before. And then the last thing was uh, a new uh, generation of young people coming to the wine world, to viticulture, because wall industry were starting to decrease a lot in that period. And so some guys want to just find something to to do, and they want to restore maybe the property of the grandfather or the, of the grand-grandfather. So this was uh, the beginning in 2002-2003, that period. Now, after a few years, uh, it's completely different. There are uh, new vineyards, there are much more new wineries, and also the little by little the landscape is uh, starting to be again as it was before, little by little. Before, you know that Northern Piedmont was 40-45,000 hectares of, of vineyard, so around 150,000 acres. And um, it was uh, one of the few areas where you could find bottles since 1850-1848. Uh, and it was quite unusual label the bottles at, in that period. 
for sure. I drank uh, bottles of, uh, of Lesona 1840, 1845, 1848, but also you could find some Gatinara and Gamma as well. It also Boca. So it must be, I mean, for me, I, I would think that that would be pretty cool if I was like 13, 14, 15, 16 and drinking wine that was over 100 years old or even closer to 200 years old. Yeah. But also was a little bit, uh, saying, okay, we are a little bit sorry about that because we are not at that level now. So if we want to be very important in the future, we must uh, work hard, uh, help new people investing in the area, help uh, new uh, new people creating new vineyard. And uh, and this is the only way. We need uh, more producer, we need more vineyard, we need uh, more wines because we need to refine our roots, rediscover how make exactly wines in Northern Piedmont, which are the best crews in Northern Piedmont. So this is uh, mostly about uh, Boca, Lesona, Bramaterra area. So where you lost more vineyard than in uh, Gattinara or Gemme, because in Gattinara and Gemme, some very important producers are just left also during that period. So in a way, it's sort of recovering a kind of a lost wine civilization. Exactly. A lot of it has to do with reclaiming vineyards that no longer exist, that are maybe yeah. become forest or scrub brush. Exactly. This is what it is now also. Now it's changing, but it's still, uh, uh, there are few vineyards and uh, a lot of trees, for sure. A few weeks ago, I was with uh, my girlfriend and uh, um, our dogs going through some years uh, not far in Bramatero region. Okay, It was uh, just a normal walk uh, during afternoon, and uh, I found a or property as a historic hill, a small house on top, and you could see, you could smell the place that that was a, for sure a great place for make wine because they worked so hard for create the terraces and everything. But now it was uh, just trees, so maybe it will be the next uh, next step in Northern Piedmont. But anyway, you could find now some vineyard, some restored vineyard, but also a lot of uh, Here's uh, where you could find only trees, and you, you must uh, work hard for, to have again vineyard back. Historically, it was an area where there was a lot of wine production. Yeah. But what happened to change that? Was it phylloxera? Was it economics? For sure, you, you must imagine the beginning of the 20th century, so 1904, 1905. 1904, when Nofempimo had one of the biggest storms uh, in, in that period, and was able to uh, destroy completely that vintage, but also decrease a lot of the production of the 1905. This it was, was like a hailstorm? Yeah, exactly. It's quite usual to have hail in our area, but before maybe it was also more more usual. So in that period, this was one of the things. Then Lesona, Biella, Vallemosso, but also Olga Tinaragem are one of the most important industrial area for wool, wool cashmere, and a lot of workers after a big hail problem just moved because they need a salary every month and it's much easier, not easy, but it's different anyway. But I feel like when I've gone through the Alto Piemonte recently, what I've seen is that the textile factories, they seem abandoned often. I think that uh, the competition from other countries has really decimated that industrial sector for that part of Italy. Yeah. I think uh, this is on one side, I think. Now, 20 years ago was different. 20 years ago, the industry started to have a lot of problems with China, 
and uh, and so a lot of workers just uh, were fired or just uh, they need to find another place and this is one another aspect now for have new or old workers and uh, find uh, again uh, the possibility and the time to restore the grandfather estate or the grandfather vineyard but before at the beginning of 20th century back for sure these two things plus the philosopher peronospera and oidio were the aspect uh, to destroy year by year 95% of the viticulture in northern Piedmont. I mean 95% is yeah. a big number. It's a big number. You know. But uh, it's much more important than 5% left. So when I visit some wineries in the Alto Piemonte, especially like Catanara, the fermenting tanks are gigantic. Like huge cement tanks. I imagine there's just a lot of volume yeah. made at that time. Exactly. Now often they're just silent, like, uh, ancient ruins or monuments. If you check the numbers of that period, if you check the numbers also in 1920, so uh, 15 years after that big ale, you could see a lot of a lot of production. For example, Brusnengo now is a tiny municipality with uh, three wineries now. Ten years ago, were just uh, one. And uh, in 1904, the production was around 75,000 bottles. In 1923, it was uh, around 60,000 bottles. Now is every year we are uh, recovering a little bit, but now is uh, 10 to 15,000 bottles. In Gamma, they were able to produce almost 1 million of bottles only in Gamma. And um, if you check the numbers, it's, it's quite strange. And if you, you could see that kind of uh, tank, that kind of hook, uh, the first and the biggest Cantina Sociale Cup Cooperative in Italy was in Northern Pinbon, was in, uh, in Fara, and was the biggest one. And now it's just absurd to tell, no? So this is why you could see this kind of uh, concrete or oak tank so huge. And I've seen vineyards where it seems like not a lot is happening with them. I mean, they're planted of vines still, but it seems like the people have sort of no time for the vineyards in, in places like Farah. Yeah. I think uh, Northern Piedmont is going with different velocity. And uh, there are some um, very sparkling appellations as are uh, Lesona, Boca, Gattinara, and now Bramaterra. And some uh, uh, a little bit late. And uh, we need uh, to work and to find the right guys, as are, for example, Gilberto Boniperdi in Fara or Francesca Castaldi in Fara, because uh, they trust and they, they believe in the place where they are. And so they want to restore little by little. But for recreate a vineyard, you need time. For example, with Le Pianella, for restore one hectare, Dieter had to do 39 different uh, acts to rebuy the land and to restore the vineyard. So for uh, buy 39 different pieces, uh, 40 meters, 100 meters, you need a lot of time. And so sometimes uh, this why is not exactly easy and exactly fast. It's very easy to lose a vineyard, but for restore a vineyard, we need uh, a long time. Set the stage for me in terms of the place. There are a number of communes. Where are they? How do they relate? And what's grown there? What's the situation with those different places? Northern Piedmont is uh, one of the biggest areas for different municipality appellations. You could find Fara, Sizzano, Gattinara, Gemme, Boca, Lesona, and Van Barmaterra. It was uh, just because the Cluny monks 
from Burgundy uh, during the 11th and 20th century moved to our area, improved the quality of viticulture and uh, helping the, the historic vine growers, uh, they find some different possibility to, to share the territory and to see how could be a single fara, a single vineyard of fara. Uh, there are some single vineyard also in uh, unknown places as Arsun or Briona. Uh, Montziflon was a very historic vineyard for of another producer and uh, is planted since uh, 800 years. This is why you could find so many different places. How could be related? For sure, if you think about Northern Piedmont, you must think about a cooler climate place with a lot of rain, with an acidic pH soil. This is the most important aspect in Northern Piedmont, I think. So you could think about Gattinara and Bramatera as a very, a very volcanic appellation. You could think uh, sandy soil as our Lesona. Uh, you must think about alluvional, moranic soil in Gemme and then in Farensizano with uh, a little bit more fertile, a little bit richer, a little bit darker with less iron. And then uh, Boca is a mix between uh, Gemme and Gattinara. So it's volcanic, but you could find also some, uh, some moranic and alluvional places. Because there's some granite in. Yeah, it's true. Boca, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's right. Is it typical in the Alto Piemonte wine community to talk about soil type? Because I feel like in a lot of Italian regions, it's usually the last part of the conversation. I think you know, for Piemont is uh, must be the first because uh, uh, it's like the most important thing to know, and is why all the different appellations are so different and the wines are so different. So historically, were people blending across zones to? put soil types together or was it more just inside of one soil type when they were doing bottlings? Historically we are only single or single vineyard or single appellation but mostly single soil type. And the consumer was in Italy or it was for export or? As Sella, when it was Sella we know that uh, we had the wines in the US since 1864. Sperino, uh, for sure, in the same period, but also some other producer. So historically, the, the customers uh, were not only local, were for all Europe and also U.S. I think it's common when we think about uh, Piemonte in America, we think, oh, you know, wines from Nebbiolo. You know, obviously there's Dolcetto and Barbera, but sure. when we think of Barolo, Barbaresco, we think Nebbiolo. And I think there's a tendency to say like, oh, the Alto Piemonte, where they grow Nebbiolo, and they make wines from Nebbiolo, but actually it's often a, a cocktail blend of yeah. a, a couple of different grape varieties that are pretty different, actually. Yeah, sure. So what is that situation with grape varieties and the Alto Piemonte as a whole? Nebbiolo, for sure, is the most important variety, and uh, historically was. We had a single appellation uh, only for the Nebbiolo. Then you could find a lot of different varieties. I have uh, some vineyards since 20 years with uh, more than 22 different varieties. Very local varieties, very unique varieties, but anyway, 22 varieties. Maybe because of the uh, weather before was very, very cold, and so you need to have an average production for something. So you could, you must have only the Nebbiolo for the top wine, and the average uh, blend was for the normal base wine. So it's true now you could find very few varieties back. So you could find Vespolina and Cratina, and Nebbiolo in some different blend or Uvarara. 
But uh, anyway, before you could find a little bit more varieties, you know, maybe I, I really like Vespolina, it's one of my favorite varieties in Offer Piedmont, but was very unknown very few years ago. When I started in 2006 making wine at Sella, was completely different, was just a secondary variety used for base wine and everything. Then, obviously, working with the uh, University of Turin, we knew a little bit uh, more about the Vespolina, and we learned that the skins are ripe at the harvest, but the seeds are still green. And so if you make just a medium normal maceration, 10 days, you could find only a bitter wine, not very, very red, just a, a little bit aromatic and bitter. Then working with a longer maceration, you could polymerize this kind of tannins. And so this was, uh, for me, was quite important because it was a way for find a connection between a Vespolina and the Nebbiolo and find a possibility to age well the Vespolina because it's very easy to oxidize and so you, you must be very careful with oxygen and working with a long maceration you have a little bit of tannins but you have more protection anyway so your wine will be much more safer. Vespolina is for me one of the most important varieties of Piedmont for sure. Rotina is a little bit different, is a little bit more rustic. You could find Croatina in, not in all the appellation of a Piedmont. For sure, you have to vinify separately, I think. And um, it's completely different than Nebbiolo and Vespolina, is no relatives at all. In Croatina, you have a, a less acidity, you have a higher pH, you have more fruitiness. It's important for some appellation for the, the back mouth, for the saltiness, because yeah, is a reductive grape variety, and so you could express better this kind of iron bloodiness in the back mouth, quite typical in some of the appellation in Northern Piedmont. So Croatina is an interesting variety. You could find some Majorina Croatina very interesting because it's very ripe, made by all very old vines. But uh, anyway, it's a harder variety for me. What do those wines taste like? said Croatina is more rustic and yeah. you said Vespolina has a lot of tannins but in terms of flavor profile I mean if I were okay. to drink those a wine made from those grape varieties on its own you know sometimes you see it yeah, what sure. would that taste like the nose of Vespolina is based on white pepper because the molecule of, of the white pepper is exactly the, the same of the Vespolina the rotondone so you could find a little bit of berries if you macerate enough you could find the raspberries, the strawberries, the for sure at the nose, and white pepper. So it's very linear, it's very spicy, it's very easy to recognize. If you ferment a tank of Vespolina after two hours of uh, after the harvest, you could uh, say 100% this is Vespolina. Green tea leaves, white pepper, and raspberries. For me, are is Vespolina. Bitter tannins only in if you make a short maceration. Otherwise, uh, very good tannins, I think. Croatina, dark chocolate, coffee, dark plum, for sure. A little bit of tannins in the mouth, for sure. More fruity, less acidity than the Vespolina, and very salty. And then what about a great variety like Uvarera? Uvarera is a good variety for salami for me, for a brunch time, afternoon salami. But from my point of view, it's not good for long aging. So... I try to don't use for long-aging wines. So I like Uvarara, but uh, as a, it is uh, by itself, uh, very easy vinification, traditional style and still vats. 
and I like to drink a little bit uh, cooler during afternoon. You said that there's 22 or even more grape varieties that have been grown in the region. Yeah. So are there other notable grape varieties that have been there in the past? Yeah, you could find for sure some typical Piedmontese varieties as are Nebbiolo, some different clones of Nebbiolo, Barbera, Dolcetto, then a little bit of um, Terrano, then uh, you could find uh, Neretti, Neretti from Canavese, Neretto Nertala, Neretto Ver, so many different Neretti. And then some very strange and unique varieties, and we are working with uh, the University of Turin to see how they are. One of the most interesting is called Negarera, and maybe in the future we could heard something about. Is uh, from my point of view is very interesting. We found at the beginning of the beginning only three vines in Maserano, and then uh, now is uh, you could uh, now grow. Before it was almost impossible. And are there any grape varieties that have red pulp, like an Alicante Boucher kind of thing? You could find very few vines. Uh, but planted during the 50s and 60s. Before, uh, in the very old vineyard, there are no Tinturia varieties. So I think one of the things that I hear sometimes about the Alto Piemonte is like, oh, you know, they used to blend the wines with Sicilian wine or wines from the south, you know, Apulia, you know, common tanker trucks and they would blend it. Is it true or not true? Or is it the thought that there's some grape varieties in there that we may not normally encounter that makes people think that it may be true? Like what you are talking about is a lot of grape profiles that I'm personally not familiar with. So I think if I tasted a wine that had some of those in it and I thought, oh, this is supposed to taste like Nebbiolo, but it doesn't, you know, a very simple view of the Alto Piemonte, I might think that something was getting blended. I think you are totally right. And this is... I think in the past, uh, for sure, no blend with uh, Puglia or Sicilia or somewhere else wines. But I worked for a while uh, with a winery in Edna area with Narello Mascalese and was quite clear the connection between Narello Mascalese taste and Northern Piedmont Nebbiolo taste because the aromatic nose, the aromatic in the mouth is aromaticity is, is much more than the most important thing. And uh, so 40 years ago, one of the first Italian important writers, Mario Soldati, wrote a book, uh, was uh, Viaggio in Italia. And uh, if you check the page about Northern Piemont, about Lessona, you could see where just after the Edna area. And uh, he wrote that the taste of the wines remind him to that uh, single place in the world. And this is why maybe a lot of people think about the uh, connection a commercial connection between Northern Piedmont and some other areas. But uh, I think it was only for the aromatic profile. Is it also true that that's because of volcanic terroir? Because there yeah. is volcanic yeah, yeah, terroir sure. in the Alto Piemonte, but there's not a lot of volcanic terroir in the Lange. No, there are no, no. I don't know volcanic terroir in Lange. So this is for sure the strict connection with Fatna. Obviously, there are two different soils. Uh, Northern Piemont has a very old volcanic uh, terroir, 800,000 years. Uh, Edna is uh, very young, is, is uh, black. It tastes as a fire, it's different. Northern Piemont is like uh, fire, but very far. Before you could find iron, manganese, potassium, taste saltiness, but it's not burned by the soil. So it's different, I think. 
I think one of the reasons I'm really drawn to the Alto Pimonte, I mean, there's a few, there's value, there's back vintages, it seems like uh, something to discover, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. But one of them, for me, I think, is that it holds the possibility that you could try Nebbiolo off some very distinct soil types, Uh, you know, because it's very common for people to say, you know, Nebbiolo only succeeds in Barolo and Barbaresco. I mean, it's it's like said all the time. Yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Usually when people are saying it doesn't grow anywhere else in the world, like Australia, that kind of thing. But yeah. it implies that it only grows there when we both know that it's in the Alto Piemonte, it's in Lombardia. Yeah. So there are these different soil signatures. For sure. And for me, tasting Nebbiolo off granite can be similar to sensations that I get when I taste like Syrah off granite. Yeah, sure. And I, that, for me, makes the experience much more complex and interesting. I think this is one of the most important things about, uh, about Northern Piedmont. For example, uh, with Colombera and Garela, we, we have a uh, few parcels, but very close. And you could taste the different soils. In Lesona, it's sandy soil, so very iodine, very light. The nose is very feminine and red, between orange and red. Not 500 meters, but 700 meters far away, there is Bramatera, there is the river in the middle of, and volcanic soil. And that the taste of the same variety, same year of, of plantation and everything. And the taste is so different. It's much more salty, much more uh, rich in iron in the back mouth, uh, different taste at the nose, for sure more, uh, more fruity, a little bit more structure, a little bit more tannins as well. So this is uh, very interesting Interesting also for us because uh, we could find different aspects of the same variety, of the same clone, and uh, we could maybe relearn enough to produce very good wines in Northern Piedmont. That's interesting that you say that you have to learn because it, you know, a renaissance is really necessary. This is, uh, I think, the, the story of, uh, of life of a winemaker, of uh, a wine passionate, because... Uh, you know that if you make wine, you have not time enough to learn enough to make wine. This is uh, the most important point of view. So if you have a, a first generation, second generation, third generation, you have uh, your your roots and everything. I think one of the most important aspects in Northern Piedmont in the last years were just skipping the 90s. Skipping the fact of the oak, skipping the fact of the overthrowiness. So... This is why I'm so happy to start in work after 2002, 2003, because uh, we were free, but um, tasting the wines was uh, was so clear the direction we have to find. We have a different, uh, unique soil appellation, so you you must uh, vinify by itself and you must taste and uh, see how they could uh, ferment, macerate, and uh, and then retaste and learn enough. After now 15 years. Uh, I don't know if I was right or I was wrong at the beginning, but anyway, I'm happy about what we learned in the last 15 years. So it really, for a number of reasons, never went through that period of big oak, big ripeness, doing a lot of things to minimize tannins, trying to be more international, emphasize fruit, make wines that are more approachable. And that whole you know, 10 or 20 year period yeah. never became fashionable in the region, really. No. Luckily, no. And uh, this was very important, I think, because uh, we work in cooler climate. We have uh, less tannins than in Lange. 
in Lange, in Barolo and Barbaresco, you could find some very good wines uh, with uh, very ripe uh, grapes and uh, you could also find some good wines with uh, a little bit of oakiness at the nose. In Offer Piedmont is very, you cannot, because uh, we work, we must be light. We must be very acidic, we must be very fresh, uh, we don't have a lot of tannins, so we cannot uh, cover everything by wood or ripeness. So I think this is, uh, we were lucky to be late. So in a way, there was no financial investment. So there was no new oak. No. And so no. the taste of the place didn't get covered up. No, exactly. When I started in uh, in Bramaterra tasting wines, and the old producer were using only big size uh, of uh, oak uh, cask, uh, big size uh, chestnut cask, uh, and so the taste was maybe a little bit dirty, maybe a little bit bratty, but maybe a little bit uh, too tannic. But anyway, for sure not sweet. And so the wines were right after 20 years or 25 years, but anyway, were very typical and very, very unique. So how did you get into that situation? Here you are, you're 13, 14, 15, you're tasting wine. How did it become a, a job for you? Because it it seems like not everyone who would be interested in wine would necessarily make it to where you've made it, where you're consulting for a number of wineries, you have your own winery, and you're still quite young by regular standards. I visited uh, a tons of producers in Lange and in Tuscany and uh, somewhere else in that period. And so I spent all my money in wine and uh, I taste a lot of wines. Then every day I think, okay, I have to learn something more. I have to read something more. I read uh, all the books I was able to find in Italy. Is that a lot or no? Like in the Alta no, Pimonte, is there a large literature? No, no, no. But uh, I was at Venitalia, so it was uh, quite easy to find all the books. <laughs> and um, so I started knowing some producer, and that uh, was quite easy and natural. Then I visited, obviously, the Northern Piedmont producers. And one day I. I just, okay, I want to learn something more. I have to try my end and see how I could prune a vine. I could uh, vinify something. So I started in 1998 uh, working with uh, a old man. Uh, he was uh, 88 years old at that period. And uh, we worked together for four years. Every single afternoon after school. I was spending time in buying in Maserano, pruning uh, with a visual man and um, learning something because it was natural, was clear, was uh, was good for me, I think. And um, the water was not allowed. So I, after work, you must have a drink, only wine. So I, I learned the taste of very, very traditional, very handmade wines in, uh, in Maserano. Then after that, uh, 2002, I started the, the graduation in uh, university in Turin, Alba, in 2003, and uh, the sommelier and everything. And so step by step was natural. In 2006, I started with Sella, and then was uh, everything became a work. And Sella was a historical property that had some significant holdings in Lisona yeah. and Bramater. Yeah. Sella was the most important uh, winery in our area and is owned by uh, one of the most important family. Uh, they have a bank, so it was 
quite uh, strange and unusual uh, when we started because uh, I started uh, as director at Sella when I was 22 and uh, I became the CEO of Sella in 23 ages. So was uh was very good for me and I, I found a lot of good persons there and I was very free and I was uh, able to learn enough to to work with some other people and some other wineries after. So how did it end up that you ended up working at Sella? Because I mean it is a historical producer of some renown. I mean, and you're a young guy without a lot of experience. So how did that come together for you? The beginning was uh, was strange, it's true because I had 10 workers and I was 22 and for sure I was the younger one, but the, the seller masters and everybody was very helpful with me. And I learned a lot about the, the tasting of the wines. I learned a lot about the organization of a winery and everything. Then uh, one day the family want to change the president of the company. And so uh, I was a good friend of all the old president and everything, uh, just speaking about the political stuff about the, the winery was different. And so for me, it was not easy to, to continue work with them during 2013. I, I prefer to move uh, to a different projects. And so this is why I'm no longer a seller and so on. But it was a really good situation for you for a while before. Yeah, yeah it was, uh, right? was, uh, was, uh, was great. And, uh, I think, uh, some, uh, very some very good fermentation we we did so you made some good wine yeah I, uh not not i i think the combination between the terroir the vines and everything was uh, was good enough to be happy 2010 was the first release of columbera and gorilla right exactly 2010 was uh, an important year i started with columbera and gorilla i started with le pianelle in uh, in brusnengo was an important year because it was a very classic vintage and uh, anyway was good for this kind of sparkliness in Northern Piedmont. It was uh, a light uh, light period where you could uh, find place and find people to work with uh, and try to make the best wine as you can. So with uh, Carlo Colombera and Giacomo's father was quite easy because it worked together because we started, we knew each other since uh, since. 15 years and uh, he owns uh, some of the best passes and uh, and so with Giacomo is a, a young guy and he worked with me during some sellers harvest was very easy and natural start with uh, with Giacomo and Carlo and I feel like in 2010 which was first vintage for Columbera and Gorilla that that was also a vintage that for the Lange was really esteemed did that help at all that you were selling a bottle with a 2010 label on it? I think uh, have a classic vintage in Piedmont is still uh, the most important thing. 2010 was uh, a unique vintage for me. I work in Ophabium since 2002, and 2010 was the only one without ale at all. And this is one thing. Then was a perfect vintage for Nebbiolo. Long season, early blooming, late harvest was perfect. So for sure, uh, 2010 uh, and having 2010 on the labels is better than uh, having 2007. And so a long season is preferable where you are? Long yeah. season with a little cooler? Yeah. If you think about the phenological uh, time during a year, normally we have almost the same blooming of uh, in North and Piedmont and in Lange. 
The flowering is depends a little bit uh, year by year, but anyway, is uh, three four days after in of Piedmont than uh, than in Lange, but the harvest is still a little bit more uh, late. So you could wait two three weeks. So you have a longer season. You have more time to mature your tannins. You have uh, less alcohol, and you have obviously more acidity because we are in a cooler climate. I feel like climate change has affected some of the ripening times in the Lange. Mm-hmm. Is it showing some effect where you are, or is that still getting the kind of classically styled weather of the past? No, for sure it's different than in the 60s and the 70s. I don't know exactly before. Before, they were very good vintage, only very warm vintages, as are to 1904, 1921, uh, and some others. During the 60s and 70s, I drank a lot of wines from our area since that period. And the wines are still very bright and I'm very acidic now, but very, very, very uh, late anyway. Are, um, for sure, the 1973 Lesona from Cell I tried a few months ago was young, very young now. And so for 30 years, it was uh, almost very difficult to, to drink. Now, with a climate change, it's uh, easy to have ripe varieties in Open Piedmont, but uh, the philosophy of a winery, of a winemaker and everything, if you want to make elegant wines, uh, I think uh, you must stay between 12.50 and 13.50 of alcohol. Otherwise, you will lose a little bit of, of a right point of view on the Nebbiolo. Obviously, this is much easier in Open Piedmont than in Lange, uh, but everything is a change. For Colombert and Gorella, you make Lasona and Bramatera. Yeah. And then you make Costa della Cieza, which is a blend. Exactly. So how should I understand Lasona versus Bramatera? And then how should I understand the blend together? Allora, Lasona, for me, has a feminine nose, as a red-orange nose, is a, is a typical to find a little bit of a spicy raspberries at the nose. And normally we blend a little bit with Vespolina. So normally it's a 90-95 Nebbiolo and 5-10% Vespolina. So you could find a little bit of white pepper as well. The typical nose-note of Vespolina. Lesona has a very bright acidity. As one of the most important things about Northern Piedmont is this acidic spiciness in the back mouth. The drinkability of Northern Piedmont wines is one of the most important aspects, I think. Bramatera is more salty. The nose is a little bit darker, a little bit more violet. The, you could find a little bit of dark plum, the coratina, a little bit of chocolate, coratina, obviously the white pepper, brighter because you have higher percentage. And the, the taste of the Nebbiolo is different. You taste the iron, you taste the, the bloodiness. It's, it's more complex, uh, less feminine, more masculine, with more tannins normally, and a longer finish, maybe. Less iodine for sure. Costa della Sesia, in case of Colombia and Garella, we produce uh, Costa della Sesia almost only from Bramaterra. So our Costa della Sesia is a, a high percentage of, uh, of Nebbiolo, 60 65, 30 of Vespolina, and then a little bit of Croatina. So we want to have uh, the spiciness, the white pepper of the Vespolina. But obviously, we use the, the second uh, selection grape. So we want to have a very easy wine with a high acidity level, obviously, 
Uh, we work only with uh, long maceration, but obviously the, the most important grapes are used for Matera Classico and Lesona Classico. What about some of the other terroirs that you work with, with your wineries that you consult for? I mean, that must give you a pretty broad range of vineyard sources when you're working as yeah. a consultant. Yeah. Para is the eastern appellation where I work with Gilberto, and we started together in Lourdes in 2013. As this kind of earthiness at the nose, the wines are very bloody. I think for the volcanic uh, and acidic pH, the volcanic origin and the acidic pH, but also uh, our richer soil, more fertile. So this kind of earthiness, this kind of darker fruit at the nose is the aspect for me for Fara and Sizzano. Gemme, I work with uh, two wineries in Gemme Appellation, two different spots. One is Canova, one is, another one is Yoppa. And um, in general, you could find two different kinds of soil. One is uh, high clay percentage. Another one is more sandy, more rainy and alluvional. Where you could uh, find a CDPH with uh, clay, you have for sure tannins. Tannins uh, and structure. More structure than, uh, for my opinion, all the others uh, Northern Piedmont uh, appellations. But you need more time in wood. You need also the same way making, but you will find less uh, less aromas of uh, of fruits and more aromas of uh, of bloodiness. Also, also the nose, very red bloodiness in this case of wine. Uh, alluvial morenic uh, gamer, from my point of view, are very light, very savory. And uh, are for me my favorite uh, game spots are all in this area, and um, you could find a lot of balsamic uh, notes. And uh, obviously, the acidic pH of the soil helps to have a lot of potassium, so you have a high pH wine, but uh, very interesting as uh, aromas. Speaking about the aromas, I don't wanna, I I don't want I will work also in Gatinara, but I have no winery at the moment in Gatinara, but it's still one of the for sure, best places uh, for make wine in Northern Piedmont. Bramaterra is w- where I grew up, and I love Bramaterra. Bramaterra is a seven municipality appellation, so you could find a lot of uh, different uh, soil. You Bramaterra is in the middle between Lesona and Gatinara, and the taste is in the middle between Lesona and Gatinara, because you have volcanic soil, very unique porphyric soil, but also Sis and the soil going through Bramatera going to Lesona. So you could find the uh, expression of Bramatera very different, I think, at the moment. In general, for me, Bramatera is the more salty. Uh, I cannot say more complex, but anyway, it's complex. The volcanic aspect is uh, maybe higher than in some other different appellation. For some different reason, sometimes... Uh, it could remind me to Boca, and uh, this is why I cannot say I prefer Bramatera or Lesona or another appellation, or just different and so. Lesona is this kind of pure yellow sandy soil with a CDPH, so you have more floralness at the nose, more aromaticity, this iodine sensation in the back mouth, and maybe the softer tannins uh, in uh, Northern Piedmont. Maybe sometimes uh, you could imagine less complex than, than Bramaterra, but anyway, very elegant. It seems to me like 
10 years ago and maybe 20 years ago, there was really no great quantity of La Sona producers. And now it seems like there's quite a few. Yeah. You mentioned that Paolo DeMarchi made an investment there. Sure. But why is it all of a sudden that, is it just that they were only in Italy or not exported? Or why is it that I see a lot more La Sona now than in the past? When I started in uh, Sella in 2006, you could find bottles of Lesona only. 95% of the cases are Sella or a little bit Massimo Clerico because it was a, these were the true producer of Lesona, or just true producer, not every, everybody else. So now uh, then, obviously, Paolo Colon de Marchi came and then some other producer, La Prebostura, who I work with. And now there are 10 producers in Lesona in few years, because if you think about in 10 years, 11 years is, uh, is nothing in one world. So you were unable to find Lesona because it was just impossible to find Lesona. And the market was uh, almost nothing because Sella sold all the wines to the, to the bank customers. So the Lesona doesn't exist before. So now is in the market because there are 10 producers, a little bit more wine, but also a, the combination between more wineries and different taste and a different approach. Because it seems like when you know a region is really hitting, it takes more than one player. Often, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. A wine area must have uh, a lot of producer, a lot of vineyard, a lot of uh, different wines. At Columbera and Gorilla, you've done 10, 11, 12, 13. Yeah. What have you seen in that period of time? I mean, what's changed? What's different? And how are the vintages changed? Very different vintages. Uh, speaking about my experience, 2010 and 2013 are incredible. I really like these two vintages because they're very elegant, classic, high acidity level. So if you ask me as a taste, uh, for sure, it's not about winemaking. It's just about the taste because... Uh, the wines wanna go somewhere, and uh, I must follow the wine. Obviously, the vintage aspect is the most important thing, maybe. But uh, 2010 and 2013 were uh, were so clear the direction. Obviously, 10 and 13 were cooler, very classic. 12 was, uh, I think, a little bit similar to 09, a little bit more fruity, but also with a little bit bitter tannins in the back mouth for some dry and hot days during July. 2011 was a easier vintage and sometimes have a easy warm vintage could help a new customer to be introduced in Offre Piedmont. What is the winery protocol? Grapes come in? Yeah. What do you do at Colombier and Girl? We destem all the, all the grapes and we put uh, in general for fermentation of Bramaterra and Costella Sesia in concrete tank. So all traditional concrete tank, we don't add yeast. We move a little bit during the first two days just to take a little bit of color. And then uh, we taste and we decide if it's the uh, right time for rank out, rank over the Lestage. There is not a protocol. There is uh, just uh, an idea about the taste and that's all. Uh, we want to stay during fermentation with medium low temperature. I work between 22 and 28, I prefer. I have no fridge at Colombera, so I have to move the wine. I don't want to have a lot of oxygen. I want to save more CO2 as I can, because CO2 is our richness. If I'm able to keep more CO2, I'm able to keep more fluidness. I'm able to use less sulfites during the aging. I'm able to be more safer during the aging. So 
normally the technique is uh, is very easy. I prefer long maceration, but I have to. I need the right grapes, and right grapes uh, came from only from good vineyard. After the, the end of the fermentation, normally we move a little bit less the wines to be able to save the CO2, and then um, we taste and we decide the final uh, maceration, and that's all. Then uh, molar thick in uh, stainless steel or in concrete, and then aging in used barrique. In this case, because was old winery but new winery and um, so the beginning uh, you you must uh, you must use use it barrique for different vinification different uh, vineyard aspect you don't want to blend everything and also you have not enough uh, money to buy cask and that's another important stuff so for me the real difference with Columbera and gorilla compared to some other producers in the region is the level of reduction that I sense in the wines, which I think is very related to what you were saying about CO2 covering and trying to keep that layer there and then using a little bit of steel at times to kind of keep the texture maybe a little yeah. tighter. So when did you decide that that was important to you and why is it important to you? Because when you look at some of the other producers in the region, sometimes the texture is more much more loose. There's much more exposure to oxygen. You, you must taste you, the only way is taste. Taste during the fermentation, taste during the maceration, and taste during the aging. You cannot follow a protocol. Every vintage is different. Every every wine is different. But if you taste the wine and you think what you like or you are you are able to say I don't like this. Okay, this is this is the only way. Maintain the wine in reduction was very clear at cellar because. Uh, I don't want to lose this fruitiness. I'm falling in love with uh, raspberries and uh, small uh, strawberries. I want to keep this kind of nose ad- in the wine, but I am not uh, a roto-fermenter technique. <laughs> so I want to be very traditional, but I want to I wanna find a way to keep this kind of uh, freshness. And was only, for me, the reduction. And we are lucky because working with Nebbiolo is not Dolcetto. So you could keep the wines in reduction and your wine will be bright enough, will be not dirty, will be safe. So you feel that reduction showcases the both aromas and the flavors differently for Nebbiolo? Yeah, I think so. Nebbiolo and Vespolina as well. There are so many good uh, Nebbiolo from our area and some other areas. For sure, beautiful grapes but oxidative uh your your nose is a little bit too sweet and not enough fruity and so i'm sorry because uh and you could find the same in arello mascalese in vedna if you taste from the tank you could drink incredible wines if you taste after your aging you could drink so many um, not perfect wines so really you were looking for more freshness yeah at the nose yes you mentioned Sella where you worked, but yeah. are there a number of other people that you don't consult for working in more reduction? Some of, of the best wines uh, from North Piedmont are working in some different approach, but uh, in reduction. For example, Sperino, I could tell. Uh, I don't know Antonio, but I really like the wines, so <laughs> I, have, uh, I have to learn something more about uh, their vinification. So is there a historical precedent for that kind of winemaking? Like if you go back to the 19th century or you know, before the advent of stainless steel, is there... This is a problem and having lose our roots. So was uh, was natural 
think about this kind of uh, style, this kind of taste, uh, but was only a glass. Was not uh, speaking about uh, an historic process or something. Was just because if you wanna have a long maceration, if you believe, if you trust in your grapes, you must work with long maceration. If you wanna work with long maceration, you must keep the CO2. And if you keep the CO2, the brightness at the nose is so clear. And so at the end of the day, you wanna save this kind of, uh, of, of nose. We try to work only for the nose at the end of the day. So how do you think that nose is gonna evolve? Is it gonna be bright like that in 20, 30, 40 years of bottle age? I will tell you in 20, 30 years. But I mean, you're making a bet that something's gonna happen, right? I mean, you're making an intention that you're gonna yeah. make wine like this. So do you have a sense of what that's gonna end up as? When um, when I started in 2006, 2007 at Sella, we had some different approach to the vinification with Gianluca, obviously. Very traditional maceration or very, not very, very modern, but medium, normal. So maybe 14 days of maceration, then uh, malactic and wood, uh, 2,500 liters of onion hook, and then uh, everything. My approach was uh, maybe 36 days of maceration, and then malactic and stainless steel, and then aging wood as well. And now, after 10 years, uh, this wine, I think, for my taste, I still prefer 100% of the times uh, the long macerated one. So in general, this kind of nose, this kind of taste uh, is still very interesting for me because it obviously it's different. It's less fruity now, but the brightness at the nose is, is clear also today. I hope in 20 years it will be almost the same. And what about the influence of concrete? I've seen, as we talked about, a lot of big concrete tanks in the yeah. region. You use concrete in your fermentation. Concrete is a, is a beautiful material for make wine, I think, because uh, it's very good during fermentation. It's hard because if you are, we don't use fridge, so you must be very safe with the temperature because it's very easy to, to be too warm. But um, it's good because uh, we have to age the wine in wood, and for sure it's important, but uh, sometimes you, you need to move a little bit uh, because uh, it's going too fast. Maybe this vintage is going too fast and I need to make it slower. And uh, using concrete is is quite ideal. Obviously, I work also with stainless steel and the effect in the wine is not far, far away. But with concrete in that period, uh, during the aging or at the end of aging, is uh, one of the ideal things, I think. So you mentioned that you really work towards aromatics. Does concrete yeah. affect those aromatics? No, it helps to keep in reduction. But um, no, putting the same wine in stainless steel or concrete with the same temperature, you have obviously a little bit different differences at the nose, but they're not huge differences from my point of view. It's interesting to me how much descriptors like bloodiness and saltiness come up yeah. for the Alto Piemonte. And I've certainly experienced that too, but those aren't regular descriptors for me when I'm talking about the wines of the Lange. Yeah, because... Um, we work in acidic pH soil, so you have a lot of minerals and you could find a, a lot of minerals coming up in your wine. So in general, you have a, 
higher potassium, higher manganese, and higher iron. And the iron uh, taste is uh, for sure uh, more bloody than, uh, than some other minerals. So this is why a lot of uh, words are about uh, iron or bloodiness or, or saltiness or sourness. So in general, I could say this is uh, one of the most important aspects thinking about Northern Piedmont. We work in a cooler climate, so we expect high acidity level. But working with a CDPA soils, you have uh, a little bit higher pH in the wine. So this is why the wines from Northern Piedmont are salty and not acidic. This is uh, one of the most important aspects, I think. A lot comes down to the pH of the soils, which is just very different. Exactly. The pH of the soil, the soils is our richness for sure. Not knowing that previously, I think my temptation was always to think like maybe it's a different clone of Nebbiolo or maybe it's one of these other great varieties that's blended in. You know, because in the, sure. the Lange, you often hear about Mike versus Lampia and, you know, so I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe there's something different in the Alto Piemonte that's normal to plants. Do you think it's the same Nebbiolo or? I think at the moment we are thinking now not all, but almost all the Nebbiolo from Northern Piedmont are Lampia or Miquette. And so we are speaking exactly of the same variety. Historically, for sure, was different. You could find a lot of different clones of Spanna. And I hope in the future to be able to have some more local clones. But anyway, now we are speaking about the same variety. And why I speak so much about the soil is why, for me, is the most important aspect and is where we are maybe now able to learn something more and um, then secondary for sure the, the varieties the different varieties addiction of crotina and vespolina but it's much more important the soil aspect than the different varieties i think so one place that hasn't come up in this conversation and you don't consult there could be a, a reason why is carema and i have heard there that it's actually like a different kind of nebbiolo carema uh, is a uh... It's a beautiful place. I love Carema and I love Carema wines. Uh, historically, was not considered Alto Piemonte, which is why I, I was unable to speak about Carema. For sure, Roberto Ferrante is a good friend and for sure I love his wines. But Carema is strictly connected to Valle d'Aosta, to Donas, and so to the Picutener clone, anyway. Historically, the connection between Valle d'Aosta and Canavese and Turin was clear. But Alto Piemonte was the area between Biella and Novara. So the old Novara province, uh, now are Biella, Vercelli and Novara. But anyway, the area between Lessona and Fara Sizzano. This was the Alto Piemonte. Carema is very close to us, but historically was not connected to us. So different, completely different soil, completely different technique of uh, pruning. This is why normally we are not considering Carema, Carema in Northern Piemonte. Speaking about a different kind of pruning, I mean, when you go through Barolo Barbaresco, a lot of things are trellis on wires. When I go into places like Boca, I've seen Mandarina. something that's like unlike anything else I've ever seen. So yeah. what are the different styles of the Alto Piemonte in terms of handling a vine? And are they specific to certain subzones? In general, now, obviously, a lot of vines are just pruned and guyo and are in lines. That's fine. But historically, you could find a lot of Maggiorina through the area between Boca, Novara, and uh, Bramaterra also. And what is that? Maggiorina is a local pruning system with three vines in the middle and uh, is uh, like a small pergola in general. 
uh, is wider than normal and you have three vines in the middle of with uh, 14 branches around and uh, it's uh, very interesting it was used as usual for the Cratina and um, the new system of Angelina was created by one of the most important architects he was from Boca and uh, the name was Antonelli so he created this kind of system very very unique and very particular and you could find vines uh, pruned at Majorina in Boca and Bramaterra and also Gemme and Fara. It is uh, is quite uh, typical and I worked in Majorina for uh, four years. In uh, I had one vineyard in Brusnengo and was Majorina when I was uh, 16, 20 years old. And uh, after that, I knew why I would prefer line than Majorina. <laughs> Why is that? It's uh, horrible to work. It's just uh, is uh, less tall than me and is hard to be less tall than me. But anyway, is as it is. You must be below the branches every hour of your work. You must cut the grass and do everything below the branches. So you must spend all your time going uh, curve. You have to bend down a lot. Yeah. And so it's very hard to work, I think. But was uh, was good and now is good because you could find uh, some uh, majorina, very old majorina. So now the grapes are such uh, beautiful. We have uh, some uh, majorina in all the area, and uh, at, at the moment we are keeping because uh, are 80, 90 years old, and the, the grapes of Croatina or Nebbiolo are perfect. This is a very far flung example, but on Santorini, the volcanic island of mm-hmm. Greece. When you taste Mavro Dragono that's been trellised, and then you taste it when it's been grown on the ground in the yeah, circular sure. formation, the wines are very different. Yeah, sure. Like the trellised Mavro Dragono is much more on the fruit, and then the Mavro Dragono that's grown on the ground is probably thicker skins. Yeah, sure. More on that kind of yeah, character. Yeah. Even if the winemaking was roughly the same, it's the character of the grape, I think. This is my assumption. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was wondering if something similar might be happening when you move wines on the wire in Nebbiolo in the Alto Piemonte. I don't know exactly one answer. I have some different uh, aspects I could consider. Majorina was used, that's be sure. And uh, I could like the Majorina for the Croatina because uh, it's very wide and uh, Croatina needs to be very ripe. So normally I would prefer it helps uh, if you have a hail because uh, the grapes are all below the, the leaves. And that's fine. But historically, the Nebbiolo was n- not uh, pruned at Majorina. It was uh, is not a um, 20th century of uh, history in uh, in Majorina and only one uh, 100 years in uh, going through Guyot. So, for example, in Lesona, it's true you could find some few Majorina, but historically, since uh, 90 years, you could find. Uh, different system of lines, a different system of pruning, but anyway, not in Majorina. I think now we are considering Majorina also because all the vines are very old, and so for sure the grapes are better and better. Uh, but um, I will tell you when I will uh, I will be able to have one vineyard planted by Majorina now and one vineyard planted by, by lines, normal lines now. You are right, for example, from my point of view, Narello Mascalese, in Edna, is a different taste, grown as uh, alberello or in line. 
and for sure I prefer 100% of the time Salbarello. But uh, I don't know this uh, aspect uh, how it could be for the Nebbiolo and uh, Nofa Bimon. Sometimes people say with the Majorina that when they put the vines together like that, that the uh, different grape varieties actually share genetic material over time, where, you know, the Croatina and the Nebbiolo kind of do a handshake and they give each other something. Yeah, it's true. It's true. You could, because uh, having these three vines in the middle, the roots are still uh, very close and you could have uh, some combination. This is why it's very easy to have some problems of disease because of uh, the combination of uh, roots and everything is a little bit harder than in a normal system. So speaking about disease, I mean, there are parts of the Piemonte where you hear a lot about Flavicensa dorata and other disease or insect pressures. Yeah. Are there disease or insect pressures that are on the horizon for the Alto Piemonte? It's not an easy place because we have uh, a lot of rain. We have uh, rain uh, around twice than in La Mora, which is the rainiest place in Barolo. But we work in lighter soils, so normally we are quite dry. Speaking about disease, uh, for sure we have uh, for the rain problem with uh, Peronospora and Oidium classic. We have not a lot of problem with uh, Flavicenza dorata, luckily, because Nebbiolo is not so is not so easy to have problem with Flavicenza. But we have some problem with uh, Flavicenza dorata, with Croatina and uh, Herbaluce. For sure it's not easy, but for us, uh, luckily, it's just a small percentage of the uh, total amount of, uh, of vineyard and total amount of grapes. So speaking about Vespolina and Nebbiolo is not a problem. We must be very, very safe uh, only about the, the, the botrytis and the, the Peronospora. Is much more important the work in the vineyard about the canopy management and everything than uh, some other uh, kind of, uh, of problem at the moment. So in terms of serving the wines, you see a lot of older vintages still, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, from the Alto Piemonte still kind of around in the market. Uh, sometimes I'm not sure what I should do. Should I decant it? Should I double decant it, should I pop and pour it? I, I don't always know. And obviously there's different terroirs and there's different producers, yeah. different styles involved, but I have some sense of how I like to approach Barolo. So I th think it's possible to come up with some guidelines of the Alto Piemonte, but I don't really know. I prefer to pop and pour darkly because I don't want to have a lot of oxygen coming through the wines and just lose the nose. And this uh, was, uh, for my opinion, good for a very old Lesona Marmatera Gattinara Gamme, more than 90 years old, or, or good for some other vintages until 1958, maybe was one of the last uh, very warm and very good vintages. During the 60s and 70s, uh, I think uh, it's much better give uh, a little bit more hair because uh, the wines were so so late and so acidic that for sure are still a little bit closed. So in general the approach is uh, no air except the 60s and the 70s, I think. And is that a, because of an approach to lees? Like uh, were they doing different things with lees contact? I think uh, was um, the period with um, very no, in general, not a lot of good winemaking. A very traditional winemaking, but without uh, rules, without uh, good winemakers. And so you could have a lot of great 60s wines from Lange, but it's not easy to have a few good wines, a few good uh, 
not from Pimo wines from the 60s, I think. Because the winemaking the technique was very rustic. And so you could find a lot of uh, of uh, tenacity and uh, a lot of tannins and a lot of acidity in the wines. And I think uh, is why I would prefer now to, to decant and wait a little bit normally. And how has the market changed for the wines? I mean, I feel like at Sella you had some uh, contact with the export market. Now you're working with a number of small different wineries that presumably have more or less success in the export market. And you have your own project, so you see where the wine goes. What is the situation for the market for these kind of wines? I think uh, everything is changing quite fast. And uh, I I will not speak a lot about Italia, uh, Italy because uh, uh, we have not a lot of market in Italy anyway. At the moment, uh, I really like the U.S. market in general. And I really like uh, the fact that everybody tastes the wines and decides if... Uh, I will buy or I will not buy something. And I will tell you why I will do that or not. In Italy, we are buying brands or labels or something, or points or Trebicchieri or Cinque Pecore. But finally, we have to taste the wines and decide. And in US, you, you, you do that. And I really like this. Now we are, anyway, 122 wineries, uh, more vineyard than, than before. And... Uh, I think also the quality is improving a little bit because we are speaking more and more about the wines and about the technique uh, between us. And this is the only way to find finally the collaboration and then also work, uh, I think, well the market. Christiana Gorella thinks so. Decisions about wine should be based on taste. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Christiana Gorella of Columbera and Gorella in uh, Alto Pimonte, as well as several consulting projects in that same area. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, all drink to that pod.com. That's I L L drink to that pod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening. This episode was made possible by Vinitaly, the world's largest wine fair, held each year in Verona, Italy.